For him to do just that. Listen, welcome to another edition of the Dunamis Word Broadcast. I am your host, Pastor Harvey Burnett. Yes, and the pot is stirred. We have stirred up some things here dealing with uh, dualism and tripartism. Listen, don't let the title fool you. We are talking about some things in a very practical and sound way. We're talking about some things that uh, the body of Christ um, needs to turn its attention to as we view and read scripture. Listen, let me tell you real quickly how to get a hold of me. You can reach me uh, by email for prayer requests at dunamis1 at netzero.com. That's dunamis1 at netzero.com. D-U-N-A-M-I-S-1 at net zero. That's the number one at net zero and spell net zero out. N-E-T-Z-E-R-O dot com. Or you can reach me. Uh, uh, just go out to the Dunamis Word and peruse our our, our uh, blog there at www.bethelburnett. That's all one word. B-E-T-H-E-L-B-U-R-N-E-T-T dot blogspot b-l-o-g-s-p-o-t dot com Bethel Burnett dot you have to put that dot in there blogspot dot com uh, and we love to hear from you um, thank God for uh, those who call even contribute to the ministry let us know that you're praying along with us and you're supporting us and we thank God for you the word of God is going out and we believe that it's a powerful life-changing word now we stepped into a hornet's nest dealing with dualism and tripartism and I'm running into that don't let the title discourage you is is we're not really delving that deep even though we have to go deeply into it but we're looking at some scriptural nuances here because it's vitally important one of the things that uh, one of the questions that came up uh, uh in last broadcast one of the questions that said well uh pastor burnett uh, you seem to put it to uh, to a degree where we even question, you know, if Paul was saying that a um, that you know he wasn't dealing with the issue of sin, well, can a believer sin? And uh, the question is answered, of course, certainly yes, a believer can sin. The Scripture says, if we do sin, it says if we do sin. So the controlling element of the controlling. Uh, a, a dominant element of sin in the life of the believer is no no longer exists. That thing has been broken through the power of Christ. But yes, believers can sin, have a propensity to sin, and because God is holy, no matter what good that a believer does, he is still yet sinful uh, before the Lord because all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. But yes, believers can sin, but they can still uh, repent 
and they can still uh, uh, maintain fellowship with God and uh, those believers. Once you've come into knowledge of sin, certainly you should repent of it. But that's not what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter seven. Paul is talking about a person that's dominated by sin nature and uh, observing that solely in and of itself. And then he goes into Romans chapter eight uh, and sets the stage by which a person is freed not from just the uh, uh, what I want to say, the the thought of sin or not just from the um, uh, the act of, of sin, but also from the penalty of sin in Romans chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk what who do not act. Their body is not used, uh, who walk not after the flesh, uh, but after the spirit. And so we've got to understand these in a full context. And so there's I don't want to send out the the message that we believe are certainly teacher endorse sinless perfectionism to that degree. Of course, the Lord will perfect us. And and I tell you what, but all of us are going to leave out here with something, some type of something that we have dealt with uh, within our flesh, because as long as we are here, we are in the flesh. And this this is the point of what we were talking about before, because we looked at Genesis chapter two and we see that the Bible said that man became a living soul. When God created him, he breathed in uh, man and man was a living soul. OK, uh, the the thought and we talked about the Greek um, tripartism, how it was really kind of developed uh, during the intertestamental period of time, uh, where we see Greek philosophy that came up to, uh, you know, a height or a zenith. That thing was actually compounded by language, and Greek philosophy had a very steep, um, what I want to say, call to delve into language and to define things specifically. And Greek philosophy and culture is what, you know, modern day society and culture, you know, has been built on. Um, in, in Plato, the Greek philosopher Plato was one of the main uh, proponents of this particular doctrine or teaching of what was called the tripartism of man. So, uh, as we see throughout Old Testament history, uh, more of the dualistic nature of man was taught, even though there were hints of tripartism, you know, throughout the Psalms, um, uh, you know, uh, in, in different things. We see that over and over. We see soul and spirit being talked about. Uh, we see various words being used for soul and spirit. Uh, and uh, throughout the Old Testament, uh, we see uh, uh, various types of nuances uh, through Scripture talking about soul and spirit. But um, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that man, when God created him, he was a, a one part being. If there's a body, if there's a soul and a spirit, those things work together. In other words, they did not exist independently of one another and that person still be called man. Okay, the theology of this 
I, I, I almost kind of like saying, OK, you you have to deal, delve into uh, this theology in order to get a good understanding of what we're doing and what we're looking at and why this important. Ezekiel says in uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, uh, when he's talking about people being held responsible for other sins, Ezekiel makes it clear. He says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Okay. Now, does that mean that the soul dies and the flesh lives and the spirit lives? I've heard people say that the spirit lives on forever and, you know, uh, your soul is what is tormented and, and your body goes to the grave. And we we create a lot of different strange types of doctrines. And, and, and these doctrines have come up. Uh, from time to time and place to place over the years. And it is centered around uh, body, soul, and spirit. I've heard an individual say, well, when you get saved, your, uh, uh, your, your flesh doesn't get saved. Just your, your spirit is saved or your soul is saved. <laughs> you know, and I said that this is the most ridiculous thing in the world. How can you separate um, uh, your soul uh, from your spirit and body if there is a tripart and think that one will be acceptable while another is unacceptable and another yet goes another place. This is uh, a, a, a teaching that is full of confusion. Now, yes, we acknowledge that um, uh, Paul says to the Thessalonians in First Thessalonians 5 and 23, uh, he says at this doxology he says he prays that your whole spirit which is pneuma your soul which is psyche and body which is soma be preserved blameless so yes he identifies these characteristics and these things these elements of men that um uh that he's praying that are preserved blameless before God in that great day. However, we also see first Peter chapter three, verses 20, when Peter was talking about the flood and talking about those that were saved in Noah's day, he distinctly says that there were not eight spirit souls and bodies saved, but he says that there were eight souls that were saved and they were saved by water. Now, I can see somebody saying, well, uh, that means that when you get baptized, you're saved. And, and, and uh, when, when you go down the water, your soul is saved. Not that. Listen, we have made some leaps into some things here that have killed people, that have killed people doctrinally, and that have killed people in their seek and search uh, to overcome some of the issues and problems that they have in their life. And I believe that we have hurt our argument and hurt the people that have followed and listened because we have a never ending requirement or a never ending slew of requirements in order to help men be free from the things that they deal with. And I want to try to simplify that. That's why I said I didn't want to get too theologically deep, but I've got to go uh, to the place and first of all, let you see that many, many of the the terms that we use today were actually implemented uh, by Greek, non-believing Greeks. Plato was not a 
follower of Christ. He wasn't a follower of God. Um, but uh, many of his thoughts and philosophies uh, exist today, and many in the early church, many of the antediluvian fathers um, uh, followed many of those same paths, and they uh, went into Scripture and looked for those particular nuances and distinctions. Why? Because the uh, Bible, the uh, when the Greek New Testament was written, the Septuagint uh, was written, it was written in that language, in the language of the day, which was Greek. Uh, and so uh, we see that there was a a different nuance, a different slant that was placed. Now, this, does this mean that God's word wasn't performed uh, or, or that God's word um, was not preserved and that God's word um, uh, was tainted? No, that's not what I'm saying. And be clear uh, about that. What I am saying is, is that some of the nuance that we see within Scripture could possibly be more of a nuance of language rather than intent. When he says, when uh, Paul says to Thessalonians, I pray that God preserve your whole spirit, soul and body. Does that mean uh, suggest that part of our soul, uh, that our soul could be preserved while our spirit and body is not? Or our spirit can be preserved while our soul and body is not? Or that our body can be preserved while our soul and spirit becomes corrupt? God forbid any of those things. When a person is preserved, he is preserved, he or she is preserved through and through. The Greeks did not understand that concept. They were looking for excuses and reasons philosophically why a person can do good on one side and be evil and corrupt on the other. They were trying to find a place where they could rest their thoughts and rest their minds and come to peace and grips with who they are. And that was sinners after the flesh and sinners after the soul which they were. My contention is this is, is clear that man is a living soul. <laughs> That man is a living soul. What comprises, Pastor Burnett, what, what makes up that soul? What comprises that soul is inseparable from the other. And only God can do that. This is why uh, um, uh, only God can make that distinguishment. Man cannot and we cannot based on actions or what we see or, or say, okay, that's your soul speaking and this is your spirit speaking and that's your flesh speaking and all of that. No, man is one component, one living being, one living soul. Okay. Now, and as I backtrack, on what we said in part one of this broadcast about the carnal minded man. There are many individuals that are not in contact with God who don't pray every day, who are not seeking God, who have not read their Bible, but they get up and do good things. They are carnal minded. You cannot say that they are not carnal minded. They are carnal minded. They are not spiritually minded. They are not seeking God, but yet and still they do these good things, the carnal mind. But guess what the Bible says? The carnal mind is an enmity against God. It is against God, the carnal mind. And we often think when we talk, think of carnal minded individuals, uh, you know, real quickly, we think of uh, uh, people who are just silly, you know, and, and all that. But 
to have a carnal mind is to have a mind that's contrary to God. In other words, when God comes up, that carnal minded person does not want to hear what thus saith the Lord. Okay, Paul recognizes this in Romans chapter uh, eight, uh, verse seven and eight, when he says like this, because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul relates the carnal mind of man to the condition of the flesh. Okay. The condition of the flesh is the condition that man is in without Christ, a fleshly condition. Okay, where where do we see this? In in Galatians chapter 5, okay, we can read that. Galatians chapter 5, we see uh, uh, something else happening or uh, we see um, something else pointed out. In Galatians chapter 5. For those of you who see me on the broadcast, you know I have to change these glasses and I'm going back and forth changing them. <laughs> but Galatians chapter 5 says it um, uh, like this. He said, um, This I say then, in verse 16, he said, This I th- say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He said, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I want you to understand when he's saying flesh here, he's not talking about just your just your physical body in and of itself. He's talking about the whole totality of of man. He's talking about the uh, if you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the whole totality of what you are and who you are. You won't fulfill that lust. He said, listen to this uh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit the spirit being who the spirit of god and the spirit against the flesh and the spirit of god against the flesh the holy ghost is here uh to to uh, uh get us into the right path but two things are fighting one another and these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would the things that even you know that are right to do because you are fleshly controlled and centered, you cannot follow those things that you know that are even right. And I want to stop right here and let you know um, the flesh is an impulsive thing. And your mind, uh, many of us think, oh, we're in control of our bodies. Uh, there's people that snap and their bodies perform certain things. And they don't know that they have done those things. It's impulse, it's reflex. The flesh, the body, what we have been given is something that has impulse to it. It has, um, um, what I want to say, reactionary tendencies that are without the mind. You can do something before your mind thinks about it, before you even think you have said something, before you even think you have done something. And this is the nature of our sin, uh, our sin nature, our fallen nature, is that thing is out of control. And this is what the scripture was pointing to. He said, these two things, the flesh and the spirit of God, what is right, escapes us. They can't be brought together or reconciled. Listen, My time is running out. I've got to go. I'm going to see you on next broadcast. God bless you is my prayer.